1: Good afternoon, hour three underway, the Pete Callender radio show. The strange voice you're hearing is mine, Chad Adams, sitting in for Pete, who is a little under the weather, wishing him a speedy return to his wonderful show. 704-570-1110, 704-570, the phone number, 1110, sorry, 570-1110. The phone number, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Now, I want to get through this next one, an interesting piece, because you're hearing a lot about... The standoff in Texas, you're hearing a lot about the bipartisan deal. I think there is universal outrage at what's taken place, the invasion of the border. There's been three million processed, three million illegals processed by the administration, untold millions more that have come across that haven't been talked to, approached. We know that people on the terror watch list have come across. We know that people from almost every nation on the planet have come across and even the border in Canada has become more porous. People can get there from other countries, come across the border in the U.S. So we are we are under attack by enemies, foreign enemies. Uh, we, we know this. Not everyone who's coming here is a, a good actor. We know that there's a massive illegal drug trade, human trafficking. Every possible degre- degraded thing that humans can be involved in is coming across our border. It doesn't mean all of them are horrible people. We should have an illegal. We should have a legal process that people should be abiding by. But this administration has opened the floodgates and then claims that it doesn't have any say so in the matter. Oh, just give me the resources. But you reversed this administration. Reversed. Remember, Kamala Harris was going to go take care of the root causes. That was going to stop it. She's done nothing. So now we have a standoff, and I, I want to get to some of this. The The Washington Post has a very good piece, and I'd like to get through it because I think it's well well, written. Uh, Areles Hernandez wrote the piece for the Post. It uh, was released this morning, by the way. Eagle Pass, Texas. A century and a half ago, Confederate General Joseph Orville Shelby splashed into the wild waters of the Rio Grande off this border city and fled to Mexico, refusing to surrender to Union soldiers. Now the park, named in his honor, has become a front line in a feud between the state and the federal government, a power struggle over who ultimately has the right to control the border and the tide of humanity trying to cross it. If you look, again, at a map of Texas on one side, down at the Gulf of Mexico, you'll see Brownsville down there on that point. The other end of Texas on the southern border is El Paso. There's hundreds and hundreds of miles. Texas is a massive state. I mean, 50 miles is nothing there. The halfway point kind of at the top of the hook is Del Rio. About 56 miles to the south and east on the border is Eagle Pass, tiny place. Uh, Having spent some of my childhood there, I lived there in the Del Rio, what they now call Del Rio Sector for some reason. Uh, There is a lake there called Lake Amistad that has a dam that they sometimes release, which makes the waters rise down at Eagle Pass and makes it much more difficult to cross. So that's when you see the river's high and the river's low down at Eagle Pass. That's why Texas National Guard Humvees. Uh, carry rifle-tooting troops and patrol newly ele- erected gates to the municipal park previously used for family cookouts and Independence Day festivities. It was a nice park before all this. Tents, military trucks, heavy equipment, and portable toilets dot the edge of a Browning fairway. Along the riverbank, Governor George, uh, Greg Abbott, sorry, has ordered the State National Guard to deploy coils of razor wire, rusting shipping containers, and dirt-filled barrels to declare his state's sovereignty. In a Shelby-like act of defiance, the governor is invoking the state's right to defend itself against what it sees as an invasion. Abbott made national headlines when he seized the park at Eagle Pass this month and shut out U.S. Border Patrol agents who had used that area as a staging point. In other words, the U.S. government was using it as a way to bring illegals into the country. Abbott took over the park and said, no more. We're done with this. We're going to keep them out. We're not going to let them get here to start with. When he shut them out, that uh, was what his supporters saw as a kind of a take charge move while his detractors viewed it as dangerous. The U.S. Supreme Court has ordered Abbott, again, let's be very clear about what the Supreme Court did. It ordered Abbott to allow border patrol agents to remove or cut the wire to reach the river and aid migrants in distress. In other words, the, the Supreme Court said, hey, the federal government has a right to go there and help them, help the illegals. Abbott and the troops started installing even more wire. Twenty five Republican governors signed a letter expressing support for Abbott's rebellion. And former President Trump is calling on the states to join the standoff. Of course, our governor, nothing, not in support of of the Supreme Court, not in support of the governor. They're just like, we're not going to pay attention to that because it would hurt us. Uh, Josh Stein is staying out of it because the poll, the polling suggests if he were to weigh in on this, it would hurt him. Because many Democrats are okay with the border being overrun, that are running for office, and they don't want to give any kind of fuel for the other side to say, we want to defend the border. So Josh Stein is playing deaf mute on this, and it's a shame. You would think uh, someone who aspired to be the governor of the great state of North Carolina would have an opinion on this. Josh Stein does not have that. Um, by the way, all the other candidates have said they want to defend the border on the Republican side. The feud between Abbott and the Biden administration is heating up just as the presidential election campaign gets underway. The issue has galvanized Republicans, some of whom are now questioning the merits of a bipartisan border package that is tied to Ukraine aid. After Trump called it meaningless, President Biden has pushed to take a harsher stance, declaring Friday that he would shut down the southern border when illegal crossing surge. Isn't it funny that he says he will do it? Hasn't done it, but he said he will do it. People now know where Eagle Pass is, said Mike Garcia, retired insurance salesman and active Chamber of Commerce member. But are we famous or infamous? Caught in the fray. Every time I hear the word infamous now, I think of the Three Amigos. You know, we're in and we're famous. We're in famous. Caught in the fray are the residents of Eagle Pass, originally known as El Paso de la Anguilla. After the Mexican eagles that flew through nearby woods, the garrison town established in the 1840s was once dominated by outlaws and renegades like gunslinger John King Fisher today, It is home to an ambitious and growing binational community, largely composed of Mexican-Americans and members of the Kikaboo tribe of Texas, all eager to get back to normal life. It's the largest city in Maverick County with nearly 30,000 residents. So think of that in terms of a North Carolina town like Wilson, you know, or, you know, just north, I guess, north of, of, of somewhere north of Cabarrus, maybe Albemarle or something like that. So about 30 miles, the nearest municipality is Piedras Negras in Mexico within eyesight across the river. And this thing's like 160, 80, 200 miles from San Antonio. Their histories and fortunes are tied together. Mexicans who cross legally make up nearly half of Eagle Pass's workforce. Many U.S. residents also cross the river to work. While local government and the school district have been Eagle Pass's biggest employers historically, residents are increasingly landing jobs with the Border Patrol and large manufacturers. Still, Nearly a quarter of the population, about twice the Texas average, lives in poverty. Unprecedented migration has made this border county's 74 miles of riverfront. Think about that. It's a tiny little community, 74 miles of riverfront, the scene of an unfolding human and constitutional drama. The huge number of migrants who have crossed the river and the crackdown designed to stop that flow have attracted international attention. And immigration rights activists, racist militias, curious to see whether the federal Supremacy that withstood a civil war will survive again. The city's restaurants are full of -of out-of-towners and hotel rooms are sold out. The state's resurrected Camp Charlie, a base on the city's outskirts, to house hundreds of Texas National Guard soldiers. Yards away, U.S. Customs and Border Protection erected a tent city in 2022. The local high school's cross-country team can no longer use Shelby Park, but soldiers allowed the golf team to practice there, while two Venezuelan migrants shivered behind wire on the riverbank. We didn't expect any of this said migrant Kevin Rolando Gomez 25 pointing to the wire and barriers we just need help so this this tragedy that's unfolding largely created by the biden administration's tone deaf response to the border it's unbelievable it's an invasion and now we have a huge standoff i'm going to get to the rest of this on the other side of the That's interesting. That's good. Money for nothing, right? That's kind of the that, – that should be the Democrat theme song, money for nothing. So we just want to give – whatever it is, we want to give more money away. What, whatever the topic is, whatever the question is, whatever it is we need to solve that we think government will fix, it's more money. If we just throw more money at it, our kids will be brighter. Our adults will be happier. There will be no crime. Everything – it would just be would be great, happy society. We just gave enough stuff away, right? Just turn the printing presses on. It's free money. But when we went to the break, indeed, a very expensive situation is transpiring at the border. Governor Abbott, Texas, saying enough. Uh, this staging area that the U.S. government has been using to just bring thousands of more migrants in in, in tiny Eagle Pass, Texas, uh, we're not allowing that park to be used anymore. I'm going to take it over. I'm going to put razor wire there. I'm not going to let the feds in. I'm not going to let. I'm not going to let border crossers in. It's it's unfolding at a national level. There's media from all over. The hotel rooms are full. Hotel rooms in tiny Eagle Pass going for two fifty a night. But as you look at this from, from thirty thousand feet from our perspective here in Mecklenburg and, and and this part of the state, this is like light years away. I mean, technically speaking, this thing is you know fifteen hundred miles away in a galaxy far far away. But at the same time, when you drive through any town in North Carolina, you know there are lots of illegal immigrants in those towns we know there are a lot of legal immigrants in those towns and cities but the residents there if you look put yourself in that position where your local fire and police are so busy handling calls from people crossing that they can't get to you they can't get to the residents that are paying for services patients have have to wait imagine going to a hospital but you can't get a bed because there's so many illegal crossers that are in those beds are full in fact of the rooms in Eagle Pass are full because of injured or sick migrants. You can't afford this kind of way of doing things. And so the local small community is completely overrun. As in many communities along the border, locals here hold views on immigration. They're as complicated as the stories on how their families became fronterizos, or borderlanders. Both the federal and state government said residents and elected leaders routinely leave them out of the conversation. In fact, because it's so much bigger now. It's not including the people. The transformation of the city's riverbank into a militarized zone is harmful, said residents. Soldiers changed the river's flow when they bulldozed islands and pushed the land toward Texas to keep migrants from gathering there. The environmental costs, the amount of erosion are unknown. By the way, the article is very friendly to let's just not have a border. So Again, the situation, as we started the show earlier, what could the Biden administration have done to prevent the situation in the Middle East from becoming what it has become? What could the Biden administration have done that would have prevented this from being the reality in which we live? And we know, and and, and without you don't need to extol the virtues of the previous president, but if you had just left those policies in place, if you had left the Trump policies in place, we wouldn't be having this discussion now. We could have come up with an immigration plan, but you could have left the stay in Mexico policy in place. But instead, when when the president undid that, every country outside of this country that had people that wanted to be in this country knew the floodgates were open. Actions have consequences, and a lack of leadership creates a weakened country a weakened border and, so the, the, and and we don't know i mean it's so funny if you um, if you paid attention to the 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 entire narcos world in fact i am fascinated with it it's one of the things i read constantly about is you know how these drug lords get so large how do they get to the point that they become more powerful than the governments in their in their various countries? They always make mistakes, which is ultimately what takes them out. It's, it's not what they did that should take them out. It's that mistakes: Escobar bombing an airplane, or you know, killing people in the prison that he built for himself. You know, if you look at at Griselda Blanco and, and the kind of she got addicted to her own drugs and just was just a psychopath, killing people, the bloodbath in Miami, but the Mariel boatlift, where Castro just turned the prisons and mental institutions loose, and all those people came Miami. There were ramifications. Miami, the killings, the murders, the drugs—the it had a massive impact on Miami when that took place. It was an unmitigated disaster. I mean, the movie Scarface was—it's fictionalized, but still, it was—it was about that that occurred. And what's happening? And, and now, now expand that. Miami is a very limited place, and Cuba, a very limited country. And that was horrible enough, but we've now extended this to, you know, 1, 15, 1800 miles of border with four different states. They're now coming across into California on the beaches. They're coming across the border in Canada. If you don't have a border, you don't have a country. And that's the thing. I, I, and I'm not trying to not contribute to the conversation by just echoing the thoughts that you feel. The point is, you do want your leaders you do want you don't want Tom to Senator tell us to come on WBT and say, hey we've got a border deal that you really don't have you you want it to stop. We've got to have we've got to have knowledge of who's here. We've got to know are they who they are what nationality they are what do they intend to work here do they have uh, relatives here we need there's certain key questions we need to know we don't know we have no idea and there's so many here now we'll never know. And if you were worried about 11 people in an aircraft flying into a tower in the Pentagon and and, and and a plane crashing in a field in Pennsylvania, if you thought that was bad, imagine turning 400 people with the same mentality. And again, I'm not giving you an exact number because I don't know the exact number. Nobody does. But imagine 10, 50, 100 times as many of those individuals with that mentality who want to do you and your family harm in this state and every state in this country who want to undermine our way of life and the people that are putting them up and organizing them against us within the confines of our own country. That's those are the ramifications and implications. We we have no idea. So the next terror attack, if anyone really wanted to, and I think they do the next terror attack, they don't have to fly airplanes into buildings They can just go to any town, any small town, poison the water supply system, blow up a bridge, destroy an infrastructure issue, create the most chaos and damage and inflict the maximum amount of fear and terror into the hearts of Americans. That's really what's going on.
0: All right. Do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay, so what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply at com. Whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials. Camping and hiking supplies, even because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency. In Waynesville, and always at CarolinaReadiness.com, veteran owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out?
1: That was almost a mistake. Glad to have you with us, <laughs> meaning something that happened where I was, not where you are. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Chad Adams sitting in for Pete Callender. Uh, always a pleasure and an honor to be at News Talk 1110-993-WBT, uh, the single most influential talk radio station in the state of North Carolina, and it continues to to do so in times of adversity, in times of, of uh, just amazing times, in bad and good. WBT is steadfast and, and here and that's a wonderful thing. If you would like to get in on the conversation, give us a call at 704-570-1110. Yes, I do love it. Love it. Love it. I always have. Enjoy enjoy the opportunity, enjoy the time. Have always enjoyed being being a host and being on the, the the battle line so to speak and and been very fortunate and blessed to have been a part of that. Now, I want to try to get through this one. And I I, I have referred to it off and on through the show and it 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 has to do with the fact that it is amazing how much free time and I, I'll say this because I'm a victim of it too, how much free time we have. And we have the same amount of time in a day that Jefferson, Adams, Monroe, the same time that Mother Teresa, or any other famous historical figure, we have the same amount of time in a given day to accomplish things. But they didn't have Netflix. They didn't have, you know, they, they, they didn't binge on a show. They may have binged on a great work, and they may have gotten involved in a book or written a book. They had the time. Imagine if we had all the time we've spent watching anything movies tv shows over the past 20 30 years and then had been productive with that time how much more we would have achieved i doubt many of us will get to the end of of our lives and go if only i could have seen another season of the sopranos I, i doubt that's the reality but the the flip side of that much time and a lack of productivity also means we have a lot of time to get involved in stuff we don't understand Um, And I'll I'll try to get through this. The Issues and Insights board wrote a piece so that it's a an edited piece. It was released late yesterday afternoon and it talked about, you know, Bill Clinton spoke of the right side of history almost two dozen times while president. Some say the phrase can be traced to 1984 when Ray Spader and Democrat Jesse Jackson used it to describe the rise of the Marxist Sandinistas who were destroying Nicaragua. But the expression was supercharged by Barack Obama. Since we've had a deluge of status seekers eager to align themselves with the one to show they're on the right side of history, end quote. Except they're not, but they are on the right side of inconsequence. Americans have advanced far beyond the subsistent lives so many lived just a century ago. I referred to that earlier. We have become so prosperous that millions of us are able to spend hours on social media and taking part in marches hoping to convince as many as possible that we are morally good, that these marches, the people you see in the marches, they want to believe that they are the ones that are morally correct. For instance, in what other nation and what other time could a meathead like Rob Reiner have time to tweet a maniacal string of inanities? He's known to reverentially reference our democracy, which is factually impaired assertion. It's a dog whistle for progressives who've made a mockery of the constitutional restraints has irresponsibly accused Trump of mass murder. He's claimed with baseless certitude the country will survive only if Trump and the corrupt party he leads is defeated in 2024. He's huffed over the possibility that Elon Musk was going to reinstate Trump on Twitter, where he would lie and spread disinformation to try to overthrow the U.S. government to return and continue his criminal activity, end quote. His signature closing is, that's it, that's the tweet, as if that somehow makes his sophomore grants more profound. What does any of this add to the debate? It adds nothing. Yet millions of people read this kind of stuff, lean on it to validate their own hysteria and retweet it as truth. We use Reiner as an example, this editorial does, as an example of the emptiness of much of the public discourse. And if you get online, and Pete Pete and I have had this discussion offline about the kind of attacks, we will put something out and we'll get trolled by people who don't understand the issues, who have no intellectual depth, and just turn it into a way to personally attack Pete or myself or our friends. We see this a lot. They said Reiner's a talented movie maker, yet he spends time screeching at a keyboard, but he's hardly alone. This country, really the industrialized West, is lousy with folks who are almost invariably wrong, but are never in doubt. We've seen it in the pro-Hamas and BLM protests. These are vanity driven exhibitions in which the demonstrators, they know nothing about the grievances they're marching against. You see that. How many times have you seen people go up and interview these protesters and they ask them questions? They don't know. They're just whatever their sign says. That's what they're into. Case in point, the oft-repeated chant from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Many of the protesters don't even know which river or which sea. They carry signs, they carry banners that are made by someone else with words arranged in ways they don't understand. They haven't bothered to look at, much less study the history of Israel or its neighbors. But ain't it cool to show solidarity with the right people and run up those social credit scores and get a following on Instagram? Of course, they are simply parroting the latest leftist kooky talking point and and gasping. The most recent progressive trends, such as harassing Chick-fil-A customers, shouting down speakers who challenge the progressive narrative, blocking traffic because it's hip to fight for the climate, taking over public spaces, practicing BLM intimidation, setting social media on fire by verbally slurring the wrong people, savaging pro athletes who dare to stand up for their beliefs, and in general, making a nuisance of themselves for no reason whatsoever other than seeking a place at the table. Today's status seekers beg for outside approval because they've been set on a cruise control by their personality disorders. No, we're not mental health professionals, but we are rational observers. And it's painfully obvious that many Westerners have a deep need to boost their low self-esteem and will go to infinite lengths to do so, even though their actions poison public discourse. But then maybe they do have a use after all. They daily give others lessons in how not to behave. I think that's a beautiful piece. I think it's illustrative of where we find ourselves with people that I, I know I often wish those people would binge watch something or at least educate themselves or have some depth. It, it happens so often. Go to our Twitter feeds. You can go to Peach You can go to mine. You'll see some of these people weigh in from time to time. They have no depth. They haven't put thought to their ideology. Someone says from the river to the sea, they have no idea. They don't know that that means the extermination of Jews, nor do they really care. They don't even really know who the Jews are, I don't think it is what it are now we've got much more to discuss and i'll get to the other side of you coffee drinkers that are destroying the planet okay 704-570-1110 704-570-1110 the phone numbers news talk 1110 993 wbt chad adams your guest host now heading into this last segment I, I, I really have to take all of you coffee drinkers to task. Uh, it's, it's a thing. You, you coffee drinkers are just destroying the planet. You, we can't have kids because you drink coffee. We can't uh, save the world because you drink coffee. We, we can't go about our daily lives because you're drinking coffee. So all you Starbucks people, you're destroying the planet. You're choking the life out of the planet. If you can't see the evil of your ways, I don't know what we will do. We'll legislate something. We'll just have to. it's end times, climate change, the existential threat, coffee drinking, causing it. You think I'm nuts? It has been estimated that nearly three in four Americans. This is from Yahoo Finance, of all places. So it must be true. Actually, it is true. <laughs> I mean, not not what I'm saying, but what they're asserting. They the the cult of doom is asserting this. It has been estimated that nearly three in four Americans drink coffee every day. However, did you know that you're probably destroying the world? The topic recently came up at a panel discussion at the World Economic Forum in Davos. Yes, you've heard of Davos, haven't you? All these really important people in really expensive airplanes with really nice cars and huge entourages in Switzerland. To determine how the rest of us should live. The topic came up at Davos Switch and Speaker Hubert Keller highlighted a crucial yet often overlooked issue for coffee drinkers. Keller, every time we drink coffee, we are basically polluting the atmosphere with CO2. By the way, when you exhale, you 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 are as well. We could just stop breathing. Every time we drink coffee, we're putting CO2 in the atmosphere. Keller, who's a senior managing partner at Swiss Private Bank Lombard Odier Group, provided a quantification of his environmental impact. The coffee we all drink emits between 15 and 20 tons of CO2 per ton of coffee, so we should all know that. The World Economic Forum, a non-governmental agency that aims to improve the world. So far, it hasn't really done a lot to improve the world. uh, By bringing together business, political, academia, societal leaders to help solutions to the world's greatest problems, including the climate cult doom. However, the annual forum has garnered pushback and some argue it's turned into an elitist gathering of out of touch billionaires. Keller's coffee anecdote came up during a panel on putting a price on nature. It's important to note that he didn't advise on the quality of the quantity of coffee one should consume. However, he did raise another critical issue, one that coffee aficionados should consider, especially if they're concerned about the quality of their brew. Most of the coffee plantation or most of the coffee is produced through monoculture, which is also affected by climate change. The quality of these natural assets is deteriorating rapidly. Considering that over 2.5, I'm sorry, 2.25 billion cups of coffee are consumed globally each day, the interplay between coffee and climate change is critical. A modeling study predicts by the year 2050, don't you love it when they throw the modeling up? I mean, I, I remind you, when a hurricane is out in the Atlantic and you throw every available climatological model at it, we call it the spaghetti model. Why do we call it the spaghetti model? Because there's so much disagreement between the variables that are plugged into what could happen with a hurricane. We just don't know. Really, we kind of prepare. We kind of generally know. Within about 48 hours, you kind of get the heck out of Dodge if it's going to hit you or you think it's going to hit you because it doesn't always hit you. You just don't know. But let's look at the coffee. A modeling study predicts that by 2050, approximately half of the land currently used for cultiv- cultivate. Cultivating high-quality coffee could become unproductive as a result of climate change. Now, I want to take that sentence apart for fun. A modeling study, okay, which is full of flaws, by the way, most of them are, because most of them have not come true over the past 40 years. Remember, we were going to be extinct kind of in the 80s because of food and, and ice age stuff. Half of the land, approximately half the land currently used for cultivating. So approximately, they're thinking, half the land could become unproductive. As a result, could. That's the big phrase. When they make these headlines and they say it could. doesn't mean it would. It doesn't mean it will. It doesn't mean it shall. It means it could. It could also become even more productive due to advances in science and coffee studies and the way in which plants make things. Of course, coffee isn't the only dietary element that contributes to greenhouse gases. According to the UN, livestock emits 7.1 gigatons of CO2 That's about 14.5% of human-induced greenhouse gas emissions. So there, get rid of the cows, get rid of the sheep, get rid of the chickens, get rid of every animal that you like to eat. Moreover, even the items commonly consumed with coffee carry their own carbon footprint. Research indicates the production of each ton of sugar results in 241 kilograms of CO2 into the atmosphere. Additionally, as highlighted by co2everything.com, a single glass of milk generates 0.8 kilograms of CO2 which is comparable to driving a car for about a mile and a half. Every time a single every time you put milk in your kid's cereal, what kind of horrible human being are you? You're destroying the world with a glass of milk. You didn't know that, did you? When you're cooking that bacon, destroying the world. Eating those eggs, destroying the world. Pretty much everything you do, destroying the world. But again, my point on this is not to it's to illustrate the absurd by being absurd this is the kind of absurdity that 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 garners attention and creates anxiety with the youth that that puts them on a path to feeling miserable about themselves their fellow humans humans have done amazing things if you got rid of it's funny that in this article they didn't talk about you know gas and coal and oil and and all that natural gas which they also if you thought about for a minute if you just for a second, looked around, wherever you are, you're sitting at work, maybe you're driving in traffic, maybe you're at home with the kids, maybe you're just at home, heck, maybe you're listening to this in the background. And you look around at everything that's in your home that was that is is determined to be harmful. Most of your your LVP in your house, a lot of your LV that that's a petroleum product. The buttons on your shirt, all the plastics, every bit of plastic in your kitchen everywhere is a petroleum product. The rubber, the soles of your shoes, those are petroleum products. Almost everything in your car is, and then it uses a petroleum product. Even if you have a, a Tesla, even if you have an EV and you think you're doing great, it has to be charged. The energy produced from that largely is from coal. It's not from gas, from coal. It still has to be recharged. You, all you've done is the CO2 is being produced somewhere else, not where your car is, but where you got the electricity from. You eat meat. If you eat any meat, that's supposed imagine if you got rid of I'm, – I'm saying this for perspective. Getting rid of everything they want you to get rid of, whether it's coffee – all your animal products, all your petroleum products, your way of life would be largely like that of a caveman. And even then, at least cavemen were able to kill and eat meat, were able to kill and clothe themselves with the hide of an animal. That would be. So cavemen would technically have it better than you because the the degree of unreasonableness that is being projected on you and I and the rest of humankind under the auspices of saving the planet and and you know I was just reading a great a great article in the break about glaciers have been in retreat since the end of the last ice age when there was a mile of snow excuse me a mile of ice over chicago it's been in retreat for thousands of years we mark it now because in the modern age we can look at a picture from 1910 and look at a picture from 2020 and say look at this glacier retreat well it was retreating at that rate for the past several thousand years now i don't say that to say there's not a debate to be had. I don't say that to say that we haven't had an impact. What I'm saying is the knee-jerk reaction to all of this is always that humans are bad, they need we've got too many on the planet, they need to be eradicated if only we had. And that's what's terrifying because there are people on the left that would be fine with getting rid of 2 or 3 billion people. They're fine with the next pandemic being 50 times worse than the last one. They're fine with us falling apart at the seams, the great reset, as it were. And that's a terrifying prospect that there are people that are okay with that. And so when when you hear people talk about the founding of the country and the price of freedom is vigilance, that doesn't mean vigilance against other countries. It's vigilance here at home. It's fighting for what you believe in. Because there's a lot of, humankind is still amazing and creative and incredible. And relationships are worth having. Oh, Donna, I, Dana, I'll give you the last... Oh, I can't. I'll, 30 seconds, Dana. Well, I'm not going to... I love your back, show. Just, no. well, I'd like you, you, to see
0: you do a story on the opioid emergency. That, you know, we have in the state. The numbers need to come out. Since 2013 till now, about 15,000 people have died in this state. Yep. The AIDS in Davidson County and hepatitis where I live top five percent they can't even come up with a number in mecklenburg i would ask you to pull the numbers out because the politicians don't want to hear it i'm running for commissioner Dana. and i want the people to know what's going on
1: in this state Dana, we got a right. roll they thank you for the call got a roll have a great day folks stay tuned much more to go wbt as always <laughs>